Be gracious to us, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, this is the chapter you've been waiting for, 1 Corinthians 14. Uh, we, uh, we're in this series, um, uh, this series which is called The Call to be Spiritual. The Call to be Spiritual. And uh, this particular sermon, we're just going to handle the first 25 verses of chapter 14. And uh, this sermon I've entitled, Clearly Building Up the Church. I don't know if you've seen this movie, but in the movie Limitless, Bradley Cooper plays the role of a man who has figured out how to open up his mind to do great feats, things that he wasn't able previously to do. For example, he, he, with no training, he suddenly has the ability to analyze how a company's stock will perform in a very complex economic climate. And, uh, and if that's not enough, he, he's, a, he's a failed uh, author, and he's suddenly able to, at very quick pace, write a uh, best-selling uh, novel in just this incredibly uh, short period of time. It's a pretty exciting story. Uh, it's, it's this exciting story as this character continues to, to do more and more things that he didn't have any abilities to do previously. Things that, are, things that are shocking and impressive to the people that knew him before he did these things. People who saw him as, as somebody who squandered his potential. The closing scene of the movie is one of, the most, uh, one of these most impressive times. Um, he's trying to win his girlfriend back. They had broken up and they're sitting at a Chinese restaurant. And he begins to fluently speak Cantonese to the waiter. And even causes him to laugh as he understands a joke in his own language. I mean, if you want to, if you, if you want to impress your date, I mean, order for them in a language that they didn't know you spoke. I had a somewhat similar experience when I was uh, studying with my best friend in law school. Uh, we were sitting there in his apartment when uh, he received a call from his mom, and he proceeded to speak perfect Ukrainian re- Ukrainian to him. To her, rather. I had no idea that he spoke Ukrainian. I mean, I was really blown away by it. Imagine if you had the gift to speak in languages you've never known before, and you were able to do this over and over again, um, instantaneously, the Spirit giving you the ability to speak Japanese or Portuguese or Afrikaans or Kurdish. I mean, think about a family in the church bringing uh, an exchange student uh, that's just moved to the country for a, for a semester. And, and, and this young man or young woman, uh, you know, speaks kind of broken English, just knows a little bit of it. And then you miracu- miraculously begin to speak to them in their own native tongue. I mean, that is just shocking of a gift, wouldn't it be? That was a spiritual gift God gave to some in the early church. And it's no wonder why that gift was sought after and was held in such high regard uh, back in that day. But in Corinth, tongues to be a gift of love, it required understanding, comprehension. You know, Bradley Cooper's character speaking Cantonese was pretty impressive, no doubt, to his date. But it didn't really benefit her in any way because she didn't understand any of the words that were said. My friend Steve 
breaking out in Ukrainian, uh, like I said, blew me away. But, I mean, I wasn't, like, helped along in any way. I had no idea what he was saying to his mom. And so it is with spiritual gifts, particularly the early gift of speaking in tongues. That is, speaking in known languages that were never previously known by the speaker. If you started speaking Portuguese as you led the church in prayer today, it would be remarkable. But it would make everybody in here an outsider. No one would be helped in any way because they wouldn't understand what was being said. There There would be no clarity. The principle we need to understand then is that if we're going to be spiritual people, people who are living according to the more excellent way of love, remember last chapters, the the chapter on love. If we're going to be truly useful in the church, we need to understand spiritual gifts rightly, and our text helps us do that. So let's turn our attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and uh, I'll begin reading in, in verse 1 and continue through to verse 25. You're ready, right? You're ready to, to hear God's word read? This is not an, like any other book. This is not like any other language. This is, this is God speaking life to his people, so pay careful attention. God's word reads like this. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I, come to, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, How will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. 
In the law, it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and, and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. This is God's word. In these verses, these complicated verses, these verses that talk about a cultural setting from another time and another place, in these verses we're reminded of this, that gifts of love are marked by clarity. That's the idea you want to hang on to. Gifts of love are marked by clarity. This is the theme of these first 25 verses. Spiritual gifts in the church that are motivated by love communicate a message that can be understood and so benefit others. Imagine not understanding anything that's happening in a church service. Maybe, maybe you've experienced that if you've, if you've gone to a foreign country and, and sat in a service that was being you know, conducted in a language that you don't speak. But imagine that going on and on and on. That, that was every Sunday for those living in Europe in the Dark Ages, from about 500 to 1,000 A.D. That was after the fall of the Roman Empire when people lived in the darkness of poverty and illiteracy and ignorance. And during those years, the Catholic Church held worship services in Latin, a language that the common people could not understand. The priests, no doubt, uh, did a lot of preparation for those services and, and, and thought they were serving the people well, telling them about God and leading them in religious service. But the people only heard meaningless sounds, mere babble. It was no gift of love to them. Gifts of love are marked by clarity. For people to be ministered to, they must understand what's being said to them. For them to benefit from being reminded of the great and precious promises of the Savior, they must comprehend the language the promises are being spoken to them in. So that's what Paul is trying to convince the Corinthians of back in that day. Gifts of love are marked by clarity. Paul does this by giving them three rules to live by, and we're going to walk through each of, of those three. The first is this. They were to dedicate themselves including their gifts, to building up the church. And we see this in the first five verses of our text. Now, now looking at uh, the surrounding context will really help us. It'll really sort of open up this passage for us. The discussion of spiritual gifts uh, began back in chapter 12, where Paul wrote of the diversity of the spiritual gifts, all of which are indispensable to the health of the whole church. Then he moved into chapter 13, cautioning the Corinthians that love must be the governing principle for approaching spiritual gifts. 
And so as we turn now to our text, to chapter 14, and continue this discussion about spiritual gifts, we need to be reminded of some of the necessary principles of love that Paul has already laid down. Be reminded of them. Love goes full throttle for the good of others. It's not focused on self, but on others. In chapter 13 and verse 4, these words are, are, are down for us. Love is patient and kind. It doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way, and on it goes. What's more, this loving inclination to work for the good of others is necessary for spiritual gifts to be useful. Spiritual gifts are not useful but for the presence of love. For example, in chapter 13 and verse 2, Paul wrote, if I have prophetic powers, and now he uses hyperbole, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, but have not love, I'm nothing. Finally, spiritual gifts, when fueled by love, Paul tells us, yield everlasting fruit for others and brings glory to Jesus Christ, who is the very embodiment of eternal love. And this is all encapsulated in that little tiny verse of chapter 13 and verse 8, love never ends. So following this crucial instruction on the great importance of love, our text picks up where chapter 12 left off. Notice the opening words of our text to, to see that, the, that, that this idea, this topic is being continued. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. The church is supposed to be zealous for spiritual abilities. Paul's not trying to say otherwise. They're, they're supposed to be excited and, and desirous of, of being able to serve other people by the gifts the Spirit gives, but zeal has to be guided and motivated by loving others. The problem in Corinth, though, was that many were enamored with having an impressive gift, particularly the gift of speaking in tongues. They weren't devoted to building up the church with that gift. In fact, they were so caught up with the miracle of the gift itself, they weren't bothering to have what they said interpreted for the church. Notice verse 2. One who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. Giving a testimony in Turkish or praying in Polish or singing in Swahili doesn't communicate with the church if they don't understand those languages. God would understand it, of course. God created all language, but no one else would. And thus, everything that was said would be a mystery to the church, scratching their heads. In Corinth, a premium was being put on the miracle, on the gift itself, rather than on the church understanding what was miraculously said. That self-centered error, Paul, Paul calls it even evil in verse 20. That, that error was keeping them from caring for the church as they ought, violating the principles of love. Instead of singing a song of love, if you will, they had become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, to use the language of chapter 13 and verse 1. Love doesn't motivate us to make a spectacle of ourselves. 
I mean, our flesh wants to do that. Our flesh wants to get recognition and to be seen as something great. But, but love doesn't motivate us to, to go that direction. Evil self-love does. No, love motivates us to edify, to build up, to care for others. But the Corinthians exalting uninterpreted tongues were violating the first rule. They weren't devoting themselves to building up the church. This is why Paul judged prophecy better than tongue speaking in their context. Look at verse 1. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Now look again at verse 4. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. So he's pitting them against each other, right? I mean, both tongues and prophecy were miraculous gifts of the Spirit. They weren't, they weren't evil in and of themselves. Both were a gift where the Holy Spirit gave a man an instantaneous, remarkable ability, either to speak in a new language or, or to receive some, some revelation right there in the moment from God to be shared with others. Both were dis- distributed according to the wisdom of the Spirit we read in chapter 12, but the gifts of tongues was being abused in Corinth. Paul wasn't against the gift of tongues. After all, he wrote in verse 5, I want you all to speak in tongues. But then he went on to say, but even more to prophesy. His point is that gifts are to be governed by love. Notice how verse five, the second half of verse 5 fills out the thought. Drop your eyes into your Bible there in verse 5. I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. Look what he says next. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. You see, prophecy builds up the church directly. Now, now, prophecy and tongue speaking are no longer in existence today. But in that day, Paul was trying to show them the difference between these two gifts. Prophecy builds up the church directly. You get a revelation from God, some word of truth, some glorious promise, some, some remembrance of his faithfulness, and you immediately share it with the church. There's no barrier there. They're, just, they're consequently edified by what's shared. But with speaking in a new tongue, the gift of tongues... The church is built up only if what is said is interpreted. There's this, there's this secondary step that, that's necessary. In Corinth, the spectacle of tongues was eclipsing the loving decision to interpret. And so the church wasn't being helped by what was said. Paul thus counseled them, listen, if this is going to be your tact, then I'd prefer that everybody pursue prophecy. The one who prophesies, prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. That's what he means in verse 5. Gifts of love are marked by clarity. To achieve this ideal, you have to dedicate yourself and your gifts to building up the church. Friends, are you doing that? Are you dedicating yourself to the church being built up? Do you see the, the abilities, the resources, the, the talents that God has given you as being for the purpose, not for exalting yourself, not for getting a good reputation from other people or something like that, but rather serving them, helping them to grow in their faith? Are you committed enough to the local church to do that? 
Friends, this, this isn't like any other entity. This isn't a social club. This, is, this isn't just something that we sort of hang around with each other occasionally. We have, to, we have to love each other. We have to be devoted to the good of each other, to the common good, as he put it in, in, the, in the prior chapter. So think about that. Gifts of love are marked by clarity, and the first rule is we have to dedicate ourselves, everything that we are, our talents, to the building up of the church. The second rule is this. It's kind of the underside of the coin. Withholding understanding from the church keeps her from being built up. This is a very long passage, it's verse, or, or part of the passage, verses 6 through 19. It's the great weight of the text. And I think the reason for it is that idols are slow to die. The Corinthians loved the miraculous. They loved the spectacle of of speaking in tongues. They admired the gift even without interpretation, even without knowing what's being said. And Paul taking them to task would require the Spirit's powerful dissection of their idolatrous thinking. And so Paul uses everything in his logical bag, if you will, to make the point. Gifts of love are marked by clarity. The underside of that reality is that withholding that clarity is not good. It keeps the church from being built up. Uninterpreted tongue speaking does that. Paul points this out with a really straightforward question. Look how he puts it in verse 6. Brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will, I benefit, how will I benefit you? Put the emphasis there. How will I benefit you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Paul simply asks them, how does speaking in a language nobody understands possibly help them? Think about this. This is a simple truth. How could it possibly work? The point is that the church is built up when they understand God's truth. What's being shared must be intelligible, and uninterpreted tongues are nonsense to those who hear them. You ever hear them on, you ever hear today's version of them on TV? Nonsense. Nobody knows what's going on. That's just complete and utter foolishness. All gifts regarding the sharing of truth hinge on the church receiving it in a way they can comprehend it. Jesus himself taught the crowds. He was constantly teaching. Look at the, look at the Gospels. He was constantly teaching the crowds. And further, having these little, uh, you know, intimate sessions with his disciples, uh, even providing more clarity. They were helped. People were helped because Christ spoke plainly to them obviously in their own language. Men marveled again and again in the Gospels at his teaching because of his powerful clarity. Even today, men must demonstrate that they are apt to teach in order to serve as an elder of, of God's church. We find that in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2. But you know what's not there? There's no qualification of performing miracles, like speaking in tongues. Why is that? Why is that? Well, the first, the first thing is that speaking in tongues is, is not in place today. But, but logically, the, the church can, can mature without miracles. But without understanding, the church cannot. Clarity is necessary. 
Paul uses a couple of analogies to further drive home this point. He first talks about a musical instrument and how it has to play a discernible melody for anyone to understand that a song is being played. We see that in verse 7. There must be a predictable arrangement of notes for the melody to be recognized so that when that song is played again, you, you can say to yourself, oh, that's the song I like. You know, when I was 10, I went to the, to the movies and saw the first Superman movie with Christopher Reeves. I think it was like 1978 or something like that. Throughout the movie, the Superman march was played. Ba, 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 ba. That's the Superman march. That's the melody. I remember it to this day. You want to know why I can say that and, and hum that out loud for you? Because that is an understandable arrangement of music. And so it is with, with the spiritual gifts. They're only helpful if you understand them. He goes on also to, to give the illustration of the bugler, the, the, the one in the military who would blast through his uh, trumpet, if you will, and, and send out these coded calls. Those distinct calls that signal soldiers what they're supposed to do at any given time. Wake up or, 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 or prepare for battle, for instance. If what comes out of the horn is indistinct, somebody just some, some unrecognizable noise, if soldiers are asking themselves, what did that mean for us? If understanding is withheld from them, if you will, they won't get ready for war when they're supposed to. And if somebody uses their spiritual gifts in a way that we can't decipher, we don't know what to do either. Incidentally, he goes on to even say, this is how human language works. All language is like this. It, languages are not meant to be just a collection of strange sounds, but understandable speech. If a foreign language is spoken and not interpreted, nothing's accomplished between the two people from different places. They remain strangers. You can see how this is the opposite of the Great Commission, going to all nations and and holding out to them in an understandable way the good news that Jesus Christ died for sinners and rose again. Without understanding, the church is not built up. What's being said must be understood for anyone to profit. Mere spiritual experiences that bypass the mind won't do. Did you hear me? Mere spiritual experiences that bypass the mind simply won't do. Look at verses 13 and 14. One who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. This is a difficult text to understand. Unless you, unless you zero in on this idea of, of intelligibility, of, of this ability to understand. Here Paul says that the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he himself might understand what he's speaking. For just as the church who hears him, the tongue speaker himself is not edified if he's merely a vessel for the miraculous. This can happen. I mean, the scriptures have examples of this. Um, I, I believe it's in John chapter 11 where Caiaphas, the high priest, utters some words that he himself does not understand. 
God uses him to, to prophesy that it is expedient that Jesus dies for the nation. But he doesn't understand the words that he's saying. And so it can happen with those who would speak in tongues. That they, could, they could be so selfishly enamored by the glitz of the, of, of the gift that, that they could be completely you know, not caring about what it was that they were saying. And so Paul says, you also need to pray for uh, an interpretation. You know, there are many churches that want people to have a spiritual experience without necessarily gaining under, any understanding uh, about Christ, any understanding about God's Word, about, about what the Bible says about the spiritual life. But th- that's, we don't read that in the Scriptures, do we? God always uses our minds to do things in us. Understanding of the gospel brings spiritual life. Not hearing, you know, I don't know, some kind of trance-like, you know, uh, words being said that don't mean anything. No, it's understanding the gospel that awakens a man's soul. Growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus, that's what matures the church. Growing in our understanding, it, it's an act of grace by God, but, but he uses our minds so that we might grow in our ability to see who God is and, and what, what depth of need we have and what he can accomplish in us if we will submit to his good plans. The spiritual battle we fight begins and ends in our minds. What we believe, what we forget, why we worry, uh, 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 how we, why does we lose hope? Only understanding truth saves and consequently builds up. Without understanding, the church is left where it is. So God's people are to pray that they are focused on clarity, on serving in ways that lovingly bring understanding of God's truth to others. When the gift of tongues was around, the church was told to pray for interpretation, to bring clarity to the church so that they weren't treated like outsiders but rather by like loved members of God's family. There is thus a premium on ministering to those in the church in a way that helps them, that deepens their, their, their comprehension of, of who God is and, and who they're supposed to be in Christ. Miracles without understanding don't do this. Because of this, Paul, who spoke in tongues more than all of the Corinthians, says verse 18... He puts it in perspective. Look at verse 19 now. And church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Gifts of love are marked by clarity. To see this lived out, we have to first use our gifts, our, our whole selves, for the primary purpose of building up the church. That was the first rule. Devote yourselves to the good of others, to the building up of the church and secondly, we, we have to understand that without understanding, withholding understanding from the church can't possibly build it up. And now finally, God has purposes for spiritual gifts that are unexpected. We see this in the last uh, verses, verses 20 through 25. God has purposes for spiritual gifts that are unexpected. 
This should not surprise us as chapter 12 reminds us that spiritual gifts and, and, and the opportunities to use them and, and, and the various activities that are going to be happening with their use, all of it originates from the hand of our wise God. Remember that triune passage in chapter 12, right? There's many gifts but one spirit. There's many activities but one God. That passage, that's what I'm referring to. But even though that's true, that all spiritual gifts originate from God, God is the one who empowers us to use them and brings good from them, all of it originates from Him, but we can forget. We can, we can think that we know how gifts are to be used in every circumstance, and we can particularly be this kind of arrogant when we have used a God-given ability for a long time. We start to think, we know how it's supposed to be used. Paul confronts the church's self-centered approach to tongues by essentially telling them to grow up. The Christian Standard Bible puts verse 20 this way, don't be childish in your thinking. In verse 21, now this is a difficult verse, so if you've drifted away for a moment, come on back for a sec here. In verse 21, Paul brings the weight of Scripture to bear. Remember, I said he's using everything in his bag. He's using all of his powers of logic to show them the, the folly of, of their perversion, and, and now he is holding up the weight, the, the, the authority of Scripture for them. He quotes Isaiah 28, where Israel heard God's judgment through the words of their Assyrian captors. That is, God's judgment came upon Israel through words they did not understand, not their own language. God had purposes for his rebellious people through a message in uninterpreted Assyrian words. It was unexpected, to say the least. No one imagined God would talk to Israel through a language that they couldn't understand. But it was a message, nonetheless, a message of judgment. But this supports what Paul says next. Speaking in tongues is a sign for unbelievers. Verse 22a says that. Speaking in this foreign tongue of the Assyrians was a a sign for the unbelieving Jews at that time. It was a, a sign of judgment. Unbelievers, get this now, unbelievers who come into the church and hear the gospel in their own language, understand they will suffer God's wrath if they do not repent and trust in Christ. That's God's intent for the gift of tongues in that day. But believers who hear the gift of tongues without interpretation, the rest of the church, there's no interpretation provided, they are mistreated. They are regarded like Israel in Isaiah's day as under God's judgment. So when believers hear speaking in tongues and they don't understand, that's actually the person speaking in tongues saying, you're under God's judgment. Now think about the foolish uh, uh, use of tongues in today's church. There's all manner of lunacy, of heresy happening. I mean, have you heard of people laughing in the Spirit and being encouraged to do so? Or barking in the Spirit? or being slain in the Spirit, all of these different things. No, but there's no interpretation. Nobody understands that. That's not, a, that's not a knowable language. 
And so what's really being pronounced then in those church services is you're under judgment. Now the gift of languages, speaking in languages that you don't know, that, that gift isn't around today, but it was in that day and it was being misused. And so Paul issues this corrective. The upshot is that God's people have to submit to God's instructions for using the gifts he gives them. Did you hear me? God's people have to submit to God's instructions for how to use the gifts he gives them. God has purposes for those gifts, and they may not be what you are intending. So you have to submit to God's plan for them. And I would just ask, are you seeking to use your gifts as God wants you to? Because we can all, all do that. We can be selfish, and we, and, and we can want attention, and we can use our gifts in ways God didn't intend. So you need to really examine yourself, friends, and ask if you're using the things God has given you in a way that he intended. Are you seeing it as your responsibility to serve others, to help them grow in their understanding of God's truth? Even when tongues are used with unbelievers, Paul says in mind, clarity is the only way it is an act of love for them. If the gift of tongues were used to grandstand with no interpretation offered, like verse 23 mentions, if many people are clamoring for attention, perhaps speaking in tongues all at once, unbelievers will not hear of the hope of forgiveness in Christ, but will hear only craziness. As I said, this is what we see so often in Pentecostal services. But if the church places the emphasis on the clarity of the message they share, then even prophecy, which was meant to be assigned to believers, can be of benefit to unbelievers. God can use signs to believers in ways that we didn't intend. And this is the beauty of this, of this hypothetical in verse 24, when we're concerned about the clarity of the message, the clarity of the scriptures, an unbeliever might be in our presence. That's what 24 says. If all prophesy, that is making plain what God is telling us, and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Even when that sign wasn't originally intended for him. God uses spiritual gifts in unexpected ways, friends. The stakes are too high to not offer gifts of love marked by clarity then. Gifts of love are to be marked by that, by clarity. For this to be true for us, we have to see our primary responsibility as building up the church. We have to help others understand God, God's truth. We, we have to make sure that the understanding isn't being withheld from them, but, but rather held out to them so that they can flourish in the faith. And we have to submit to the fact that God, God's the one that has purposes for the gifts. And they may be unexpected. And so we humbly submit to his good and perfect plan. Friends, as I said a few times, the gift of 
gifts of prophecy and speaking in tongues are no longer in existence as they were in the first century church, just as the office of apostle and prophet are no longer in existence. But they were given to that early church for their benefit. So what can we learn from gifts that are no longer around today? Well, I have four applications for you. Perhaps you'll think of more this afternoon as you consider God's Word. What we learn from this text is that with the gifts that God does give each of us, they're a stewardship. He doesn't give gifts to you, resources to you, just so you can do whatever you want for your own pleasure, for your own benefit. God gives you what He gives you to benefit other people. And I would just ask you, are you being generous with what God gives you? Are you hoarding your time and your resources? Or are you liberally helping other people with it? Second, we have to guard against the evil of our flesh that wants people to marvel at us. Our service to others in the church cannot be both a spectacle and helpful to other people. You're either in it for yourself or in it for other people. And so you have to just be aware of your own wicked heart and its, in, its desire for people to go, that's the guy. So we've got to be aware of that and ask God to save us and, and kill that sin. Third, we have to be people of the Word. We have to be people of the Word that read it and memorize it and grow in our ability to handle it rightly so that we can share the truth to the people that we love in ways they can understand it. If we don't know anything about the Bible, how are we going to help the other people understand it? We are, we are meant to be disciple makers. We need to know the truth, friends. Finally, we have to be zealous about using our gifts in the way God calls us to. Not clamoring to use our gifts whenever we want, right? But, but we're part of a body, And so we have to find the places that God has for us to serve. Because he he does things through our gifts that are unexpected. We might think, God will only do something if I'm able to do my gift, use my gift in this particular setting or this particular way. But, But God uses our gifts in unexpected ways. So we have to humbly just... Just seek to use our gifts, but in in ways that we're able to, that are appropriate. So I would just ask, what's the Spirit calling you to do today? How is He calling you to respond?